Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you in beautiful Whangarei. And uh, we had a great time with the young people yesterday. It was just awesome uh, seeing these hungry young people uh, praying for one another, seeing healings and miracles happening, prophesying, encountering God. Wow, a lot of them encountered God and and uh, it was just a great time. So I said to them, there's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. You know, if you're five or 95, you've got the same Holy Spirit within you. And that's the way it works. What a great sense of the presence of God this morning. I don't know, something must be happening here. Are you guys praying a bit more or something? Would that be what it is? Because uh, we were here in February, but it's gone up to another level. And a little tip there, when we were singing that, he breaks the chains. There was such a powerful anointing. I wonder how many of you were claiming healing or breakthrough as you were singing? Just a few. You know, when you get an anointing like that in a meeting, that's your moment. Say, God, I need a miracle of healing. I'm claiming it now. Put your hand on your body. In that atmosphere of anointing, so often presence doesn't get converted to power because we don't activate faith to claim it. When you get a level of the presence of God like that, what you've got to do is just activate your faith and then that will release power as well to heal you, to set you free, to whatever. So a little tip there, uh, because wow, that was so amazing. Um, We're going to have a great night tonight at Elam. Uh, I think your bulletin says renew, but we changed it to Elam, so um, we'll be there at 6.30. going to be a great evening. Sweetheart, you're going to share? Okay. All right. Yes. It's been really good to be here, and you know, we just absolutely love being with the young people. There are some such fine quality young people in this city, and uh, you know, I said to them, you know, God is busy raising up an army of burning ones um, who will be bold witnesses and will do great exploits for God, and they just like the forefront runners, and I just see that army um, hugely expanding in the city. And you know, just something I'd love to say before I start. Matt is such an incredible gift to you as a church. Yes. You know, Matt, you know, Father loves your humility. He loves your hunger for the more. And, you know, one of the things Father is saying, there is much, much more. And um, you are a man after God's own heart. And just keep going off to Jesus. So bless you and thank you. Now, what I'm going to briefly share for a few minutes is is, um, a word, revolution and new levels. Father is after revolutionary change in our families, in our nation, and in the nations of the world. The Holy Spirit is the great, all-powerful change agent, and he calls us, the church, everywhere to partner with him and each one of us to be an agent of change. Now, I just define the word revolution. A radical and pervasive change in society and the social structure a sudden, complete, or marked change in something. And remember that prophetic word in February I shared? It is time for change. It is time for shift. And God is after radical change. And here's the question. Are you willing to be a revolutionary for Jesus? 
I am, and Matt already is, and God is looking for everyone. And you know, radical lovers of Jesus make the best revolutionaries. It is the passion of love for him that empowers these on-fire warriors to pray and to go. And it's both. And that brings me to these new levels. For revolutionary change to happen, the Lord is calling us to new levels. And I just focus on two of them. This pray and go, pray and mission, pray and action. Firstly, God's calling us all to new levels of intercession, prayer, and fasting beyond what we've ever known before. Because everything is birthed in prayer. Prayer is the precursor of all things. United prayer is the catalyst to, to birth, awakening, transformational change, God's purposes, etc. He's calling us all to new levels of prayer for the nations. God thinks big. He wants us to think big. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. God's not just going after a few. God, the the Bible, his word says all nations so that his kingdom can come on the earth and his will will be done here as in heaven. And he's releasing a greater fire of passionate, faithful prayer to empower us for this. And in preparation, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's stirring God's people and he's birthing a fresh movement of prayer across the world. There's a global prayer revolution um, rising up because God is after revolutionary change in the nations. And he calls us to be part of this international army of prayer warriors he is raising up. And he's saying to the church here in New Zealand, here in Whangawei, wake up, rise up, take your place, take your stand. It is time to fight for the soul of our own nation as well. And this is also a time to keep on fighting in prayer for the salvation and restoration of our families. And I just feel for a number of you, Um, The battle has been long. You've prayed a long time for your loved ones. And David and I, there's some of our loved ones we've been praying a long time too. And I sense that some of you are battle weary. But, you know, come into God's presence. Let him refresh you and and increase your strength again. But, But here's the but. Keep on and hang on to his promises. The breakthroughs are coming. The suddenness are coming. It is time for restoration. God will restore and more, and I feel this so strongly. Two mercies for every woe, double recompense for your trouble. And for some of you, Matt, you are prophetically spot on because God's been speaking to me and He's shown it in my own life tenfold. Tenfold. For some of you, it's not just double, it will be tenfold recompense. And then secondly, God's calling us to new levels of mission. And he's imparting a fresh fire of zeal for mission like we've never known. So this means new levels of evangelism with accompanying signs. And that's a new level of the Spirit's power. And prophetic, we will share on some of the things God has for us tonight. So, you know, as you wait on God, he's going to download anointed new ways, inspired fresh ways for for evangelism outreach 
here in, in Whangarei, and I see an increased working together with other churches in the city. And as individuals, be his bold witnesses in your own family, your neighborhood, at work, in the, in the gym, wherever you are. Ask the Holy Spirit to use you as his fearless change agent. You know that Tom Cruise movie, or there was, I think, a, a number of them, Mission Impossible? Well, with God, no mission is impossible. And our mission is salvation. Because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And I just feel so excited by something I just read on Friday that confirms these things that I feel God's saying. These new levels of prayer, fasting, and mission. I read this in the news um, about Chicago. Now, when I say Chicago, think Whangarei. Chicago, there is surging violence. They have a massive gang problem and the worst murders in the States. So I don't think Whangarei is as bad as that. But they are currently in a 40-day outreach. Now listen to this. Many organizations working together for lasting change in the city. And I quote, local pastors, churches, city leaders, and others gathered on street corners to pray for God's divine intervention. And one pastor said, as we pray specifically, we can change the city. And they said, we are fasting until there are no shootings for at least a week. Because people were getting murdered heaps every, every week. This can happen in Whangarei. And then prayers turned into action. Believers across the denominational lines hit the streets in ministry opportunities, feeding the homeless, street evangelism, events for kids, etc. And a pastor said, we intend to hit every home in Chicago with the gospel. This is the mission. Now, Whangarei is a lot smaller than, than Chicago. How about this being the mission for Whangarei, the church in Whangarei? And, you know, God is, um, is raising up a whole new wave of missions globally. He's, he's raising up a new generation of passionate, mission-hearted men and women who will be his revolutionary change agents. And they're those here he's calling um, in, in this church. And, you know, it will require, with this new global um, wave of missions rising up, it requires teams of intercessors and Church Unlimited. We're a number of campuses. We are called to be part of this global network as well. You know, our nation, New Zealand, mission is in our spiritual heritage. And God intends to restore New Zealand again to be a great mission-sending nation to the nations of the world. And we'll co-labor with other nations too. God's after the salvation of the nations. And you know, Romans says, we call to proclaim the gospel so that all nations, you see that again, all nations might believe and obey him. And the Spirit stirring, awakening in the nations, opening their hearts, ready to receive Jesus. And You know, if God so loves the world, it burns in his heart, and he wants our hearts to burn with such compassion for the lost and a passion to reach them. 
There is an unprecedented harvest coming for our families and the families of the world. Whole households will be saved. It's already begun. They've said these people in Chicago, we're already seeing many have been responding. They're, they're still busy with it. Um, they've already seen incredible breakthroughs, and they've only been going a few weeks. Um, this is the era of the greatest harvest of salvation in the history of the world. Wow. Amen to that. Uh, you know, one day, you and I are all going to stand before Jesus, give an account. If you live your life to please yourself, not going to be a good day for you. You live your life to please him, be a great day for you. Thanks, Matt. That's great. And I just think we've got to get serious about, listen, you're not called to a cruise ship Christianity with endless buffets of good diet. You are called to a battleship to rescue drowning people in a sea of sin and iniquity that is going to suck them into hell. And I just think, I just came all that way to cheer you up this morning, just to tell you that, okay? Just to point that out. And uh, so, hey, I, I wasn't going to bring this book, but I thought, I just felt a nudge to bring a few copies of Afterlife. This is our book um, that some of you have got already. Um, talks about uh, life beyond death for the departed and new life for the grieving. And um, this book's being an incredible blessing uh, to many uh, many people now, and um, there's a few copies down there. They're reduced to $20 for you today. But if you want to know anything about how to get through grief or loss, uh, you want to know anything about the afterlife, what's heaven like, what happens to babies that die, what happens when people die, uh, resurrection, judgment, new world that's coming, return of Christ, then it's all in the book. So do grab a copy and be really encouraged. This will put a fire for mission in you. It really will. Uh, I am gripped with that same fire that Greta's talking about, that God, we, we've heard it before, he so loves the world that he sent Jesus. And what's got to happen to us is we've got to so love a lost world like he does. And I think we're just going to have to keep praying, God, increase my hunger, my capacity. Love to give that copy away. Anyone like that? Just raise your hand. You would, sir. Here you go. Um, honey, just the gentleman there. That's great. Enjoy. Okay, I want to talk to you about faith that never gives up. How many have heard of Winston Churchill? Great prime minister of Great Britain in World War II. And if you know your history books, uh, he led Britain through a terrible crisis where it looked like they were going to be invaded and defeated, and yet his leadership was so uh, amazing that he led Britain into victory along with the other allies that uh, were fighting in World War II. And after the war, by now he was very, very famous. And of course, lots of people wanted him to come and talk to them. And his old school contacted him, said, look, would you come and speak at our graduation ceremony? After all, it is your old school. So he said, yeah, I'll come. And so when he turned up and there was a huge hall, it was packed of, with people, and they had all the prelims, everyone was looking forward to hearing what this great man would have to share. And finally, the time came for him to be invited to the podium, and he stood up. 
And he looked over to this crowd of thousands of people and he cleared his voice and he said this. He said, never, 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 never give up. And then he sat down. Like that was the speech. And they were a bit stunned thinking like, do we need our money back or something? Because that was really short. And then they realized what they'd heard, something incredibly profound. This was the secret of greatness. This was the secret of a great man. And they stood to their feet and they gave him a standing ovation. And I think we've got to learn this lesson that anything in life, that is worth accomplishing, anything great in God, whether it's in church or business or sport or marriage or art or music or vocation or whatever it is God has given us on planet earth to do, anything great is only ever accomplished by people who refuse to give up, who refuse to bow to the discouragement, the depression, the gloom that Satan keeps sending bows, refusing to bow to the whispers and lies that says it'll never happen. Why don't you give up now? Why don't you stop believing for that? Because you've been waiting forever and it hasn't yet come. You know, they tell me that the first man to fly solo across the United States from coast to coast, he crashed 86 times, 86 times, got up every time, got another plane, repaired one and just kept doing it. Thomas Edison, great inventor of the 1800s, he invented the light bulb filament. I know we're moving to LEDs today, but the light bulb filament was a breakthrough. You know, he conducted over 10,000 experiments before he found a substance that when you put a current through, it glowed and didn't burn out. A reporter once asked him after his 2,000th failure, 2,000 experiments, Mr. Edison, aren't you discouraged? He said, no, that's 2,000 things I can cross off my list. What a positive attitude. You know, it's easy to start well. It's not so easy to finish well. The Bible doesn't say that he or she who starts well shall be saved. It says he or she who endures to the end shall be saved. And so this call and this need, you know, Jesus said there would be a need for patient endurance in the last days. That we would need to have a strong maintenance of faith. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 says, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. That's a word for someone today. Don't throw away your confidence in the goodness of God. You were singing, he breaks the chains. You were singing, there's power in the name of Jesus. Either you believe it or you don't. Either it's just words or it's something you believe in your heart. Because when you believe in your heart and confess with your lips, that's when mountains start moving. Thank you. I thought it was good preaching. One of you agreed with me. (laughs) I'm just getting warmed up. It's all right. It's all right. You don't need to do that. It's too late now anyway. It wasn't voluntarily, so it doesn't count. Don't throw away your confidence. What? You'll be richly rewarded. Not just in this world, but in the world to come. You know, I say in my book that the judgment day for believers 
is meant to be like father's prize-giving ceremony for his kids. That's what the judgment day for believers is. It's to determine our level of reward in heaven. And God, I, I got a sense as I was writing the book, the Lord can't wait for prize giving day. And so how we live our lives will determine the level of reward he's able to give us. You will be richly rewarded if you don't throw away your confidence. So that you, when you persevere and do the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. Not only promises in this life, but in the one to come. I've discovered that often prior to a breakthrough or a miracle or something happening, we're tempted to give up the most. Just when it's about to happen. It's like the devil will come work on us over time to try and defeat us and discourage us. I think of uh, the Apostle Paul. You know, he was a persecutor of the early church. Uh, he hated Christians. He was cheering when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was being stoned to death. And then he wanted to arrest Christians and throw them in prison. And he, one day he was on his way to Damascus in Syria. And he encountered Jesus. Jesus appeared to him, knocked him off his horse. He was blinded. And Jesus said, Paul, you're persecuting me. When you touch my kids, you're persecuting me. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. And, and Paul got, him, got himself right with God. He was blind, led into Damascus. A man called Ananias, after Paul was fasting and praying for three days, came and prayed for him. He got his sight back. He got filled with the Spirit. He was baptized in water. And he rose up. And this very gospel that he hated, this very gospel that he tried to, to, to crush and kill and destroy, he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I figure there's some people right now in the world who are great enemies of the gospel, and God is fixing to save them and bless them and raise them up to be radical proclaimers of the truth. You know, it doesn't matter how far away from God someone seems and how hard they are against God. God has ways of turning them like he did Saul. And he became a champion preacher. And we read in Acts 9 verse 22 through 25, it says, Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, the Jewish leaders decided to kill him, but Saul was told about their plot and that they were watching for him day and night at the city gates so they could murder him. So during the night, some of the other believers let him down in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. So there's kind of an engraving of Paul being let down. And these city walls were very high, by the way. I've been to some European cities where they've still got city walls around them. You fall off that thing, you could kill yourself. It's like it's not a little wall, it's a really tall wall. And so you can imagine it's kind of midnight, it's the middle of the night, and these believers know if Saul stays in the city and keeps preaching, he's going to die. And, uh, and they say, come on, we're going to have to get you out of the city. And maybe four or five men spirit him away in the middle of the night up onto the city wall. And they tie a rope to this big basket, a couple of ropes, and then they dangle it over the side. And they say to Paul, hop in. I'm sure he would have been really thrilled about that, especially if he didn't like heights. And he hops in the basket and they start letting out the rope. And then they hear it. The sound of a watchman making the rounds. And they freeze. Like if they're discovered, that's it. It's over for them. 
and they freeze and they're holding on to the rope. And you know what? Paul's a bit of a heavyweight and it's heavy and it's hard holding on to that rope. Maybe their hands are burning. Maybe their muscles are tired. And then two, three minutes go by and they, they then hear the watchman Right, you know, walking away in the distance and they keep letting out the rope, but it's dark. They don't know when it's going to touch the ground. They just keep letting it out, letting it out. When's this thing ever going to touch the ground? Then they hear another sound. It's the clink of a spear on a shield. Another watchman, they stop, they freeze. I mean, the temptation is to hear the watchman coming near them to have let go of the rope and say, well, forget it. we don't know who this guy is anyway. He's just some hothead who's got saved. He's causing a lot of trouble and they didn't know who he was going to become. The temptation to just let him go. Oh, maybe he's reached the ground. Let's just let the rope go. And, you know, he could have died. And they just, they just held on, held on. And finally that watchman went away. And finally they keep letting out the rope. And then the basket touches the ground. Paul hops out, runs away, and the rest is history. Becomes the great apostle Paul. He wrote more than half the New Testament. Brought Christianity into Europe. And ended up being one of the greatest Christians in history. But they didn't know that when they were holding him in the basket. They just thought he's a hothead preacher and he just got saved. They didn't know who he'd become. And the thing about that is you never know who's in your basket. That person you're holding on for. Or that thing that you're wanting to happen. You don't know who or what is in your basket. You don't know whether there's an invention in your basket. A creative idea from God that is going to change the lives of thousands and thousands of people. You don't know the person that you're praying for who's not yet saved. Maybe it's a son, a daughter, a grandchild. You don't know who or what they can become. You don't know who or what's in your basket. But I'm here to tell you today, it's really worth holding on to the rope of prayer and the rope of faith. And you keep exercising faith and you keep praying until that basket touches the ground. In other words, your answer comes. And I feel there's an area that the Holy Spirit is saying so strongly right now throughout the earth to not let go the basket in. And I believe that is the area of salvation of our loved ones. I wonder who's in your basket of salvation today. Maybe it's a spouse, a brother, sister, mother, father, grandparent, grandchild, son, daughter. Don't know who it is. A friend, work colleague, schoolmate. Don't know. There's somebody, maybe more than one. Maybe you got a heavy basket. Maybe you got 30 or 40 people in the basket of salvation. And that's no problem to the Lord. The thing we got to understand is this, that... It's coming up on the screen, 1 John 5, 11 and 13. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. This life is in his son. He or she who has the son has life. He or she who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write this to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. You know, you know the story, Greta and, and I, we lost our spouses. I lost my first wife, Jane, more than 10 years ago. Uh, Greta lost her first husband, Ron, more than 10 years ago. Uh, God healed us of the grief. We have absolute joy and, and we have absolute faith. We know where they are. We know where they've gone. They're in heaven. 
Why? Because they were good people? Because they were great people? No, no, because they believed in Jesus. Because that word begins to be true for any believer. Anyone that believes in Jesus has eternal life. It means when you die, you won't just cease to exist. Your spirit goes to be with the Lord in heaven. One day we're going to be in heaven with them, enjoying the glories of paradise. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the glorious hope of the gospel. And I, would be, I think it would be tragic if... People die without Christ because if they don't have Jesus, they don't have eternal life. They have eternal damnation. My sister-in-law passed away earlier this year, you know, diagnosed last year with cancer. Took a quick, didn't really, um, had a nominal church background way back. Didn't really want to know too much about God until the very last stages of her life. And she responded to the message that we shared with her. God graciously gave us a vision of her in heaven. Thought, wow, snatched out of the fire. Right at the last minute, snatched out of the fire. We rejoice in that, but what a wasted life. And I'm just so glad God's so merciful that right at the end of a person's life, the last breath they take, if it's like, sorry, Lord, I need you, God will save them. God will forgive them. God will show them mercy. And people don't get into heaven without Jesus. There's no other way to uh, heaven. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts 4.12, there's no other name under heaven given among People by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. Because he's the only one that died for our sin. Is that right? See, it's our sin that separates us from God. It's the wrong things you and I have done. And unless they're forgiven, you die in that state and go and stand before God. He'll say, I'm sorry. I wanted to let you into heaven to live with me forever. And I wanted to raise you from the dead and and let you live on a new world that I'm going to create with my son Jesus. But because your sin's not forgiven, I'm now forced to send you to the place where I'm not, which is hell. And God reluctantly... By his justice, because of his justice, will be forced and obliged by his justice to separate people whose sin is not forgiven from him forever. People today think God's just such a loving God. He'll forgive anything. It's okay. You just do anything you want and it'll be okay. No, 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 no. It won't be okay. God's not Father Christmas. He's Father God. He's a God of mercy who forgives sins, but he's a God of justice who punishes sin. We've got Christians, we've got preachers camping around those two things. We've got a whole bunch of people saying, oh, he's a God of punishment, and it's all legalistic, and it's terrifying, and you know, God, it's like God's angry. No, 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 he's a God of justice. And then we've got other people believing, well, he's so loving, he'll just forgive anything you do. You can go out, sleep around, do anything you want, won't matter because you're forgiven anyway. And that's an extreme grace teaching. The truth is always when you hold those two things together. You can't get away with sin, sir, because what you sow, you'll reap. You can't fool yourself, young lady, and sleep with that boyfriend of yours because I tell you what, That's sin in the sight of God. And sexual sin is the worst sin for harming yourself. Because when two people become one in sex, their souls unite. And you create a soul tie. And while that relationship might end, and you go 
on into your future. You're carrying part of someone else with you and it will mess your relationships up. Lord didn't say don't commit sexual immorality because he's a spoil sport. He said don't do it. Sex is for marriage. Don't do it outside of marriage because it'll destroy you. Yeah, we've got Christian kids sleeping around today. It doesn't matter. God's going to forgive me. Be not mocked. What you sow, you'll reap. I'm very quiet in here. It's called conviction. It's called feeling guilty. It's a good guilt because I share it in love because Father God wants you to repent, wants you to stop now before it's too late. Ask him to forgive you. He'll forgive any sin. He'll wash you clean of anything. Doesn't matter what you've done. You go to Father. He'll forgive you and cleanse you. But you need to know, stay true to Jesus because one day you're going to stand before him. And then in that day, you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You endured. You persevered. You held on. The world was going that way but you stood your ground and you went the narrow way that leads to life not the wide path that leads to destruction you know we have such a glorious hope in Jesus and I'm just so grateful that one of the great jobs of the Holy Spirit as we were sharing in the school of the supernatural yesterday one of his great jobs is to save people bring people into the kingdom and God is an expert at being able to open people's hearts to the gospel look at Acts 16 verse 14 Paul is in the city of Philippi goes down to a river preaches to some people and it just says one of those listening was a woman named Lydia and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Wow. When you got saved, it's because God opened your heart. It's like you weren't listening for a long while, were you? Neither was I. Didn't want to know about God so much. And yet there came a day where your heart got opened. And you said, yes, Lord, I understand. You died for me and I'm going to receive you into my life. And, and, um, and, and, and somebody prayed for you, somebody shared with you, but it was God that opened your heart. And you might have people in your life that don't yet know Jesus. And you know what? As you pray, as you show them love, as you reach out to them, as you occasionally share the truth with them, you know what? God's going to open their hearts. There will come a time. There will come a time. I had a son, I've told you before, a son in the drug scene for 12 years, away from God. But we prayed and we kept loving him and God opened his heart. He's come back to Christ this year. He's in Bible college and he's just going great for Jesus. Hallelujah. Because God can open hearts, bring the prodigals back. Those that once walked with God, gone far away, he can bring them back. I read this letter to the students yesterday at the School of the Supernatural. When I resigned from teaching in order to go and plan a, or, or look after a church that had grown and uh, I had to tell my classes that I wasn't coming back the following year to teach. And, uh, and uh, 10 years later, one of my ex-pupils sends me a letter. It begins, Dear Mr. Peters, you may remember me as a pupil of yours at Marlborough Boys College. I'm writing to you to tell you I'm now a Christian. My memory recalls me wondering what gives someone so much courage to stand at the head of a class of rowdy schoolboys and say that he's leaving to become a pastor of the Elam Church. Listen to this bit. The Lord never gave me any peace from that day on until nine weeks ago when I asked him into my life. 
I admired you for telling us, although I didn't really understand, I knew that what you were doing you felt very strongly about. I did know it was for Jesus Christ. Now I understand totally. I had to tell you of my new life as you were the first of many to tell me about the Lord, even with those few words that day at school. I'm getting married in three and a half weeks. My fiance asked the Lord into her life the day after I did. Ten years. Started with, sorry guys, won't be back next year. I'm going to pastor a church. That's all I said. He said, God gave him no peace for ten years. I didn't even share the gospel. I just said, I'm going to do this. He said, whoa, okay. He's given up a career. He must really believe in this Jesus. And then God brought others and spoke into his life and the boy gets saved. You know, you got to be confident in God's ability to save your family, save your kids, save your grandkids, save your friends and your neighbors. The problem is half the church is asleep. And we don't care about the mission of Jesus. It actually doesn't make us uh, 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 sad that people could end up in hell. We obliviously keep living and try to shut that concept out of our heads. There is a hell, my friends. Don't believe preachers that say, oh, they all get annihilated or everyone ends up being saved. There is a hell. There is a heaven. And because I'm prophetic, I've got to come. You know, in February, I had a lovely comforting message about sparrows. You remember that? But I said my preference was to stir people up. So this is one of the stirring messages, okay? I'm just having a stirring time. It's called exhortation. Because you can't afford to sleep anymore, my friend. Those people in your life, they matter to God. You don't have to save the whole world. There's people that he'll put on your heart to pray for, to love, to reach out to. And you ones that are retired, you got more time to pray, more time to believe God for the salvation of others. You are not allowed to spend your days golfing, gardening, knitting and crocheting. You've got people to win to Jesus. Like I know God is into hobbies. It's great to have a hobby. But may our, may our passion be for Jesus. I know someone's thinking like, crocheting will never be my hobby I know we were on the way up here on Friday called in to the hospice to see an old neighbor of mine Uh, we we lived on the north shore for about um, 17 years Uh, we were in a cul-de-sac and we reached out to our neighbors and did a whole lot of things to build relationship and have dinners and you know, a few of them came to know the Lord, but this one couple we had a great relationship with, but he just, they just didn't respond at the time. Earlier this year, I get a ring from his wife. My husband's dying of cancer. Would you come and see us? We go and we see them. Greta and I visit them, and he's really battling for his life. And I just shared a vision with him. I said, you know what? When my wife Jane died, a week later, a friend of mine was having an operation and her spirit went into heaven when she was under the anesthetic and she said she saw Jane and I told him and explained the vision and what she'd seen. And you know, when we turned up on Friday at the hospice, this is what he said to us. He said, you know that picture of Jane you shared with me at the beginning of the year? He said, it's never left me. It's never left me. I said, listen, can I speak to you about death? Can I tell you the bad news that if you die in your sin, 
God will have to eject you from his presence. But the good news is that Jesus came to die for you and he hung on a cross and, and that your sin could be taken, your punishment could be removed. I said, do you want to receive Jesus today? He said, yes, I do. And we have the privilege of leading him in a prayer of salvation. He's right in the last few days of his life. He's shut God out all his life. But now God has been softening him. And God used a vision. And he's been working on his spirit for six, seven months. Softening him. Opening his heart to the gospel. And we went there because we don't want to see him die without Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ. Hallelujah. I said the first person that's probably going to greet you in heaven is Jane. Because we were good neighbors. I'll close with this story. Uh, how many have heard of a man called George Muller? He, was, uh, he ran orphanages in England in the 1800s when kids were out on the streets. And I think he looked after over 10,000 orphans, started schools for 100,000 children. And he was an amazing, amazing man. And uh, one day, George Muller got a real concern for five of his friends that didn't know Jesus. Man, if they die in their sin, they're just going to go to hell. And he began to pray fervently for his five friends. Well, after a few months, one of them came to Christ. He is excited about that. He prayed another 10 years for the remaining four. And after 10 more years of prayer, another two came to know Jesus. There's three now saved and two left to go. He just kept praying another 15 years, 25 years in total for the next two. And after 25 years of prayer, number four comes to Jesus. There's one holding out. Maybe you got one in your life that's holding out. He just kept praying. You know, Muller prayed another 27 years, 52 years in total. He prayed for number five. And then Muller died. They had his funeral. Never saw that number five saved. But you know what happened? A little short while after his funeral, number five gave his heart to Jesus. The moral of that story is this. Some people you start praying for will come to Christ quickly. Some may take a few years. Some may take a few decades. And others, you may not even see it in this life. But from your vantage point of heaven and the part of the cloud of great witnesses, you will see something happen in their lives because the fervent prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. I know your pastor, Don and Penny, have talked to us. Their burden and concern to want to see more people saved through the life and ministry of this church. I think that's a burden God's putting on a lot of people. And if you just come and enjoy good worship and good preaching and community and cups of coffee and, and hey, we're part of a great church. It's fantastic. If, if that's all your Christianity is about, my friend, there's a well of salvation that needs digging in this city. There's a well of salvation that needs digging in this church, in your life. You have to become concerned about lost people going to hell. If that doesn't move you, there's something wrong with your Christianity. You're asleep. And God says, wake up. 
Because you may be the only one to pray for your five friends. You may be the only one to pray for your five grandchildren. You may be the only one that's holding on to the rope of the basket of salvation. There may be no one else. That neighbor that gave his heart to Jesus, I don't think there's any other Christians in his life. It's just that over 17 years, we sowed seeds of friendship and relationship. And now, 14 years later, they are germinating and have reaped a harvest. It's a long time. But he or she that endures to the end shall be saved. I hope today the Spirit of God is convicting you that while you've got breath on planet Earth, yes, you've got to raise families. Yes, you've got to raise kids in the faith. Yes, you've got work. You've got vocation. You've got career. You've got motherhood, fatherhood. You've got ministry. You've got all the stuff that's happening in your life. But you know what? Right at the heart of it are the people in your life that don't know Him. And that should move us. God is going after a harvest of billions of souls. We'll share about that tonight. Billions he wants in the kingdom of God. Well, I'm saying, what about the hundreds and the thousands in, represented in this room? You cannot live a slack Christian life and not be concerned about lost people. It's got to stop. If you're watching more TV than you're praying, got to stop. If you're just in Christianity for the party part of it, and there is a party part of it, you got to get the sorrow part as well. And the sorrow part is God grieves over every lost soul that doesn't make it into the kingdom of heaven. God so loved the world, gave his only son, Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And today, I'm going to, maybe the music team can come right now. We're going to sing a great song in a moment. But I just want to say this to you before we get to singing the song. I've been really strong with you today, guys, because I believe as prophets, we're meant to carry the heartbeat of God. That's what prophets do. We carry the heartbeat of God. We feel his heart. That's what God gifts the prophetic to do, to feel the heartbeat of God, to feel the heart of God. And I'm just telling you what Greta has shared, what I've shared. This is the heartbeat of God. And Church Unlimited, Whangarei, go to a new level of believing God for the salvation of your loved ones. Go to a new level of prayer. Go to a new level of mission. Do whatever you can. We were prayer walking the nation yesterday, except we had to do it Friday because yesterday we were stuck here all day. But, you know, God's on the move. And I want to challenge you today. Maybe you've come to this meeting. You don't know Jesus that I've been preaching about. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, That's, I don't even know this Jesus. My sins aren't forgiven. And you might need today to say, God, I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. Like my friend lying on a hospice bed with a few days left to live said, yeah, I want to receive Jesus. Maybe you're not dying. Maybe you're not at that point. You're very much alive today. But I want to tell you, if you don't have the Son, you don't have eternal life. But if you have the Son, you have everlasting life. 